thinking about your next career move in research and development? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that's investing £20 billion in R&D over the next two years. The nation that's home to four of the world's top research universities. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to Naked Reflections, brought to you from the Wolf Institute. I'm Ed Kessler, and each week I'll be taking an in-depth look at the stories reported by our friends over at the Naked Scientists. What does the latest scientific stuff mean for the rest of us? Stay with us and find out. Hello and welcome to Naked Reflections. When the United Nations announced that by their estimate the world population passed the 8 billion mark in November 2022, their tone was not exactly celebratory. Are there too many of us? Many scientists and conservationists believe so, and that we are endangering other species and impoverishing our planet. And world population is predicted to continue to grow, peaking at just over 10 billion in the 2080s, for those young listeners who will still be there. Across the globe, the situation is patchy. In Japan and Europe, fertility rates are dropping, but in sub-Sahara Africa and in the subcontinent, they continue to be high. More than half of all people live in just seven countries. China, India, the US, Indonesia, Pakistan, Nigeria and Brazil. I bet you knew that. Here's Francois Houllier assessing the consequences of all this on the Naked Scientists. If we consider the agricultural challenges that we face and, and we think to the different um, solutions that we may imagine, we need to consider the way we grow the crops. And by the way we grow the crops, of course, I, I think to nitrogen and the different uh, fertilizers that we use. Uh, I think also to the, the pesticides that we have to reduce. We also have to think to the rotation of the crops. We will need to combine different approaches, different disciplines, different techniques. That was Francois Houllier on the bizarrely titled Naked Scientist show Do Metal Spinal Implants Law Lighting? No, I don't know what that means either. There's been no shortage of comment from scientists and population growth modelers since the UN announcement, and we didn't want to step on the toes of our friends at the Naked Scientists, so we're taking a longer, broader view of human population, the past and the future. Eight billion and counting is our title this week, and we only have one guest. But what a guest it is. Dr. Abdallah Rothman is principal of the Cambridge Muslim College, 
and a deep thinker about the nature of the human soul. He holds an MA at Psychology from Antioch University. Sounds like a very ancient university, Abdullah. And a PhD in psychology from the more recent Kingston University in London. So, Abdullah, your focus is on finding Islamic paradigms for concepts like the soul or psychotherapy. How would you apply this principle to the question of population control? It's an interesting take. I think my perspective would be quite unusual in the sense that what I'm looking at when we're talking about the soul and psychotherapy is understanding the human soul in terms of what is the nature of the human being. So these bigger, larger, big questions, existential questions of why are we here? Who are we? What are we supposed to be doing? And then psychotherapy is really understanding how do we relate to this predicament in terms of what is our role in changing ourselves within the paradigm of understanding this uh, framework of accepting God in the picture, that God created the human being, God created the, the world, and then what is our role within that paradigm? And so I think both of those things really position the idea of control. Where is our relationship to what we have control over and what we don't have control over? And that our relative relationship to that is really determinant in our, our sense of balance and health and wholeness and well-being that is then in, in relationship to this nature that we have as human beings. And so the, the idea is that when we're in balance with that nature, then we're in balance internally. And when we're out of balance, then we're, we're out of balance internally it seems, though, that we're out of balance in terms of population control, right? I mean, I get what you're saying, and you've provided the foundation and the context of what we're talking about and where you're coming from. But how do we relate that to this question of population control? Well, it's interesting because you just look at the, the term population control. And so it begs the question, who's in control of the population? Is it our job to control the outcome of how many people there are on the world? Or do we look at it in terms of the people who already exist, the population, how are they controlling themselves? So your concern is a little bit over humans taking control over and against what the Almighty or what God may, exactly. may want. But at the same time, you know, uh, as a man of faith, God's given you control over who you are, over your body, over the way you live your life. So surely there's some responsibility there to apply to this question. And so what it, what it comes down to is understanding where do we put our focus in terms of our locus of control, right? So if we focus on the external outcome of something, then we are outside of our locus of control. You or I or any human being can't control how many people wind up on the planet, but what we can control, what is in our locus of control, is what we as individuals do to impact that outcome. Fair enough. But of course, you know, we're one of now 8 billion. Uh, so surely our message, our leadership, particularly yourself as a Muslim community leader and leader of the Cambridge Muslim College, um, you have a sort of extra important role because people are looking to you, at how you're living your life and how many children you may have. So I have three. <laughs> <laughs> so do I. But is that not, is that not relevant? Not yeah. true. Yeah, it's absolutely relevant. And so what, what it really comes down to is, 
each individual taking responsibility for themselves is what we're here on this planet and in this life to do. Whether the world ends in disaster or whether it's overpopulated, God doesn't need us to take care of his creation. God needs us to take care of our part in the responsibility, right? And so it's, it's this age-old conversation or discussion of, of destiny and free will. And, and really, the only way to understand that is to embrace paradox, that there is, you know, from an Islamic perspective, God is in control of everything. At the same time, in that same reality, God is asking us to control what we have control over, which is our in the state of our heart, essentially. And so that then means if I'm raising a family, I have to take responsibility for myself. And so I have to think through what makes sense for me to, to do that I'm going to be able to manage and have control over. I get that. I want to push you a little bit harder on that because it's not just you as one of eight billion, right? You have a slightly different position. So therefore, people are looking to you. It's not just about you. It's about how you model your way of life, how you live as a Muslim, how you practice. Um, you may give classes. You do. You may be teaching future Muslim leaders. You do. You may lead uh, services and Jummah and, and prayers and, and sermons at the mosque. You know, it's more than just that individual. It's the, the no. message, right? No. Well, what I mean is in those classes, in that teaching, it's teaching people to learn to take responsibility for themselves, right? So it's understanding that we as human beings and as Muslims, we have the responsibility to change what is within ourselves and not to busy ourselves with worrying about what happens in the outcome, but to really take responsibility. And so if we look at the Islamic tradition, you know, and what I mean by that is, looking at the, the model of the Prophet Muhammad as the model of how we understand the Islamic tradition. And there's so many uh, behaviors and ways of living that are completely different than the way the contemporary man lives, contemporary people live in terms of it was a much more localized way of living. There was a much bigger connection to the earth. For instance, uh, the Prophet was known not to eat meat every day. He ate meat infrequently. Uh, he fasted very often, and sometimes that was about not having access to food. That's because they're living in accordance with nature. They're living in accordance with the seasons, right? And so the lifestyle that is what we would say a fitri lifestyle, something that's in tune with our nature and the natural world, is one that has less impact on the earth. It is aligning with natural ways and natural rhythms so that you are living healthier we're known to be as Muslims uh, that human beings are khalifatullah or we're stewards of the earth but that doesn't mean that God needs us to take care of his creation that us being in a station of stewardship is what we need to heal ourselves while we're here in this world so you're very much starting from the self yes how you live yes. your personal life the stewardship of the world is dependent upon everybody and i have my own contribution to make to that and i i hear that um but i want to go in a slightly different direction see if we can tease out your your views on certain things so let's take that issue of birth control because it's a thorny one isn't it in the faith yeah. communities 
particularly in traditional Judaism, in the Roman Catholic Church, it's very problematic to uh, implement birth control. How, how do you judge the moral or philosophical questions around birth control in light of um, the fact that we reached 8 billion, in light of the fact that world population make up to 10 billion and it's not sustainable you have three kids i have three kids okay but what about those families in both our traditions you as a muslim myself as a jew um who have very large families 10 11 12 surely you know there's some argument for actually using birth control i don't want to disappoint you by constantly bringing it back to the individual responsibility but when it comes down to it when we look at the use of contraception There's birth control you can talk about before conception and after conception. So when it's before conception, then we're talking about what we have in our control, right? So we can keep ourselves from having more children. And so in Islam, the majority of scholars are are in favor of or supportive of or it's allowed, it's permissible to implement family planning. And that that is wise thing to do because it's something that you have to manage. You have to be responsible for your family, but to the degree with which you can make the plans to do so. But beyond what you have control over, let's say there's people who use contraception, use you know family planning, and then they still have a child. And at that point from conception, it's recognizing well, that's no longer in the, in the realm of our control because God has ordained that this human life come into being. It's the definition of the beginning of human right. life, isn't it? You know, right. So as, as far as uh, mainstream Islamic teaching is concerned, human life begins at conception. And you're saying, just to, to clarify, that pre that period, that birth control is, is valid and okay and actually uh, is more than acceptable, but that once there has been conception, uh, then that's no longer uh, permissible. Well, not completely. I mean, there are certain conditions where it's permissible for health reasons, if it's right. going to be for the mother specifically, yes. Occasionally you do a joke on the show, okay? It reminds me of the definition of the beginning of life. So for Muslims and for Roman Catholics at the point of conception, uh, for other traditions it may be after a certain period of time or maybe um, nearer birth, and for Jews it's when the kids leave home. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I couldn't help that. I wonder whether we're slightly weighed down in our faith traditions because at the period of the uh, beginning of Islam or the, the life of the Prophet Muhammad in the 7th century, certainly in, in earlier history during the time of Jesus or uh, the time of, of Abraham 1800 years earlier, there was a very high mortality rate, right? So having lots of children didn't mean that all those children survived, grew up and were dependent, but many of them died. So you may have you know, large numbers, but that's not the case today. So do you think we are weighed down a little bit by the formative period of our religions? You talk about, you know, taking an example from Muhammad, uh, from your scripture, the Quran, as uh, other faith traditions would from their scripture. But because those scriptures are very old and they were written or revealed a long time ago uh, at a different time in terms of human history and in terms of the uh, question of population control, actually, let me put it bluntly, they're out of date. We can't have these conversations in isolation because when we're talking about you know, whether to have larger families or not, really the reason that this is a problem and it's impacted is on a way of being and a way of life that is, again, not in accordance with what the Quran is saying how we should be living. So the reason why human beings have such a detrimental impact on the planet is because of globalization, because of capitalism, because of sort of the bottom line of wanting to have more 
you know, sort of more is better and not living in this humble way of life. And so certainly there are Muslims who are following the Islamic tradition and they're caught up in the contemporary way of being and they're caught up in this globalized world and so they're a part of this globalized system. I think what is most important that we look at is changing the way that we make choices in life that are impacting less on the um, on the world. So that may be, yes, choosing to have less children, but that's not that's that's not the only thing that we need to be looking at is is how we raise those children to be stewards of the earth rather than you know exploiters of the earth. But underlying that is realizing that if a child comes into being, the recognition is that not only did God allow for that to happen and not make a mistake in that happening, but that God is the one who will provide for the child, not the parents or the capitalist system, and that all of these things are running in a trajectory in the way that they're supposed to be going, even if the end is disaster for the world, that that's also accepted as the plan. Such an interesting question, isn't it? Because it raises the issue of theodicy, of why bad things happen. So there's a tradition in the Islamic tradition that in the last day of uh, the world is ending and everything's falling down and crumbling, right? And, and you're planting a tree, you should continue planting the tree. So much for what you say, Abdullah. We've said this before, haven't we, when we've been talking on other occasions, um, replicates what other traditions particularly Judaism, because there's this sort of very close theological relationship between Islam and Judaism, but also with Christianity, the concept of stewarding the world. For sure. Tikkun olam. Very good. Tikkun olam. Yeah, healing the world. We have a man who knows his Judaism here, (laughs) listeners. Let's take a break. This is Naked Reflections with me, Ed Kessler, and my guest, Abdullah Rothman. We're discussing the world population, and as I said at the top of the show, the conditions brought about by overpopulation vary widely across the world. Here's Tim Benton speaking on The Naked Scientist Show, Insects for Dinner. Food security roughly means having access to sufficient, safe and nutritious food for a healthy life. And clearly, when, when, when this term is used, most people think about the 800 million people or thereabouts who suffer chronic daily hunger. But it's also important to the poorest in all societies. So, for example, in the developed world, the poorest often have access to lots of cheap calories in terms of fat and sugar, but very poor nutrition. And that leads to an association between poverty and obesity and obesity and other diseases like diabetes. So food security is not just about starving people in Africa. It is about about health, nutrition, and well-being, and all of the things that flow f- from those. I don't know many Muslims who fast twice a week, and you've done that for a long time, I assume. Um, so you don't eat anything in the daylight hours? That's right. No water, no food. And here you are on our program. We are very grateful to you. Uh, and here are, my, here are my listeners drinking my coffee and water. Poor old Abdullah. I'm not going to drink any more right now. That's no, really- no, no. Please feel free. <laughs> I want to go back to the fact that we're endangering the planet. I want to push you a bit harder because I don't really buy the argument that it's just the individual. I mean, I do in principle, but sometimes I feel that's a bit of a get out. You know Mm. what I mean? I think the focus, though, would be less on the end point determining that that's problematic and that therefore we're doing it because it's bad and more 
the the focus being on having the Muslim community. So you're on that pulpit and you're giving the talk and you're telling them we need to take responsibility for ourselves. We need to be connected to the planet. We need to recognize that you can't just go on autopilot and follow this um, way of living where we the he who dies with the most toys wins. We have to be more conscientious and we have to be more take self-responsibility and look at all these things with intelligence. And one of those things could be reducing the amount of children that you have, but it wouldn't be if you have children, it's going to be a problem. Because the, the point is looking at the larger picture, right? We keep skipping over the things that are creating the problem and just jumping to, well, this is a problem that we need to solve, so let's try to work backwards and just solve it. But we, meanwhile, we want to continue keeping everything that we like in place because it keeps us safe. We like living the lifestyle that we live. We like exploiting the earth. We like 1% having more. And usually it's the poorer population that they're looking at and saying, have less kids, right? But those families don't tend to be the ones moving forward this, this lifestyle that has such a negative impact on the world. But it's saying that everybody needs that, and there's an implication of that. And one of the implications is having fewer children. I guess that's where I'm going. I think to your point, like, you know, so I'll throw you a bone here and then t- talk a little bit more about what a scholar, let's say, could do to equip the Muslim community with more knowledge, I think is what it is, is that often the majority of Muslims, so the, the lay Muslim, isn't informed about their tradition very well. And so there's a lot of misconceptions and actually that's a, maybe a pun, uh, <laughs> is that the thinking is, okay, well, abortion is forbidden, so therefore all contraception is forbidden. That means that every time that a man and woman are together, that they should uh, completely do nothing to stop there being a child as a result. And that's a misunderstanding of the tradition. It's a misunderstanding of the of Islamic law, and it's a it's a lack of understanding of how the early Muslim community lived. I mean, there was family planning. There is a uh, injunction that intimate relations between a man and wife is not just for procreation, that it actually is for hearts being connected. It actually is for, there's nothing wrong with enjoying pleasure in it. So it's not ultimately the bottom line to produce children. The Sahaba or the companions of the Prophet were known to practice coitus interruptus, that was the birth control that they had at the time in terms of preconception. So they were still engaging in this act, not for the intention of making a child. Right. So sex is for pleasure. And, and of course, that's quite interesting in Islam. Again, likewise in Judaism, yes. we're not necessarily uh, in Christianity. But where's the family planning? The thing that I like about it, because, you know, if we, obviously self-control is, is what I keep bringing it back to. Even the act, that form of contraception involves self-control. Right? So there is a, a consciousness that is, is impacted. So, okay, here I am engaging in this activity that has a spiritual benefit, it has a pleasure benefit, but it also has the potential consequence of creating a child. I'm going to control what I have to control, which is what is within myself, my own even energy, and being able to control myself because that, that you know, it's different than using, let's say, a condom for contraception versus this withdrawal takes a lot of controlling the urges, controlling oneself, which 
then again puts things in context of us taking account, taking self-responsibility for our way of being and, our, and, and the potential consequences that come from our actions. That's fascinating because that is a form of birth control and that is a form of population control, but based on the individual act, right, which is where, you know, it brings those two together. Yeah, and again, I think this comes back to this idea of managing and communal responsibility of stewardship. You know, we're, we're here to take care of one another. We're here to take care of the animals. We're here to take care of the, the ecology, including our elderly. And all of that is meaning you're not acting selfishly, right? So you're looking at the larger perspective and how are your actions going to impact the whole. And what this does is it reminds us of the ultimate goal in Islam is to be reminded of the reality of tawhid or unicity or unity of God. And so we, our experience is in individuality. Our experience is in separation. And so when we take our self-responsibility to then think outside of ourselves to take care of others, it is exactly what we're supposed to be here to do to realize our condition and realize our position of being able to submit my potential for being self-led and self-directed and having free will to do so and then choosing to go outside of my own self Think of others, which then puts me into this realization of the oneness of God. One of the reasons why there's um, this population growth is not only the medical care at the beginning and the lack of child mortality, but of course also the aging population. Um, countries like Japan, known for its aging population, China is also in increasingly an aging population. So there is also, I suppose, from where you're going in your reflections about controlling the population, there's also this need to look after the population, particularly those who are vulnerable, whether they're the very young, the sick, uh, or the elderly. Um, so there's something there, isn't there, in terms of managing the population as it goes towards that final life stage. Taking care of the elderly is a huge part of, of being a good Muslim. First of all, the elders carry on the wisdom of the tradition that we need to learn from. So it may mean giving up the certain selfish desires that a young person may want to have to take care of the other people in the community and l recognizing that how we uh, manage our resources has to spread amongst the entire population. I'm wondering what happens when these philosophies clash, um, that in other words, that, you know, the motivation that you're providing in terms of the self-control, the individual act, um, and how this will help steward and make, make the world a better place. Um, what happens when that goes up against those who, for equally strongly held views, think that they do need to have large families because, you know, maybe they're concerned about being surrounded by others who oppress them. You know, they need more people to protect them. I know some uh, ultra-Orthodox families in Europe who want to have large families to make up the number that were lost during the Holocaust. You know, there could be these other motivators. And what happens when they clash? I think it comes down to everybody has their position, right? Everybody's convicted of what they think is right, even if, you know, you know the people who don't have a religious belief behind that they're still just as fervently um, pushing forward a paradigm of how they make sense of the world. And so it's judging somebody else's decisions and choices based on their paradigm and not having the 
awareness, conscientiousness, and, and foresight to look to understand what is the condition of those people. So we're only judging it based on the, the end point, right? We have determined that it's bad for people to have more children. From my paradigm, I've decided that that's bad. So therefore, you know, you just gave the example of why somebody would be in that position. And so we need to be able to have the um, mercy and compassion for one another to recognize that things may not be the way that we have determined them to be. There are many different experiences of what it means to be human that you can't possibly know how somebody got there and why they got there and all the conditions that are around around it. And oftentimes the things that put that person in the position to be able to have the the impetus to feel like they need to have a bigger family is the result of other things that are holding up this other person's paradigm. And in order to do that, you have to get outside of yourself. You know, we, the human being has a tendency to just think from their own perspective and their own separate experience of what it is to be human. And that is, that is the deludes them into being able to see the bigger picture of reality. Seeing the bigger picture of reality seems a good place to end the show. Thanks to my guest, Abdallah Rothman. We don't expect an audience of 8 billion, but thank you for listening. You can find discussions about the environment, climate change, and much more in the Naked Reflections archive. And do check out other podcasts from the Wolf Institute or from our friends at the Naked Scientists. I'll be back next week with some more guests. Thinking about your next career move in research and development? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that's investing £20 billion in R&D over the next two years. The nation that's home to four of the world's top research universities. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK.